If you could uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, just kind of raise up your hand and you will be handed a Bible from the back if you are in need of a Bible this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. And we are going to be reading this morning from verse 15 all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. We're going to cover a lot of ground here in Ephesians today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Read along with me in your Bible as as I read. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters do the same and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Life is very difficult. Husbands that do not love their wives. Husbands that do not lead their wives. Wives that do not respect or give themselves fully and completely and freely to their husbands. Children that are unruly and disobedient. Parents that abuse and discipline their children out of, out of a temper tantrum and provoke their children to a life of bitterness and anger. Workers who cheat their jobs and employers who simultaneously threaten their workers with a layoff or a pay cut. Life is really, really difficult and the effects of all these things we see and we feel 
all around us. And so if Ephesians then, as we're going through this letter, if it is going to then point us to a, uh, a new life, if it's going to point us to a life that reflects the fact that the Father chose us, the Son bled for us, the Spirit sealed us, a life that reflects the fact that we are brought together, we are joined together, and that we, as we come together as a church, have a significant, this co- cosmic significance in the world, and then we are to put off the old, put off the dead, and embrace the new. If we're going to live a new life, these areas of our lives really need to be addressed. Amen? Because we see the effects of husbands not loving their wives and leading their families all around us, don't we? We see the effects of Wives who don't respect their husbands and don't give themselves completely to their husbands. We see that all around us. We see the effects of unruly children all around us and parents who are abusive to their children. We see the effects of workers who cheat their jobs and employers who threaten They're workers, we see the effects all around them and we feel them. And some of you are here today saying that's like the stuff of my life right there. Like that's what keeps me up at night. It's this stuff. This is what what makes tears come out of my eyes. Like in my own estimation, I have no facts behind this, but in my own estimation, I would say that these categories right here are maybe where 80% of our problems in life come from, our felt problems. Issues with our spouses, issues with our jobs, issues with our children, and struggling with past hurts from parents. It's the stuff that keeps us up at night. So therefore we can say that life life is difficult, right? because we so often just miss these marks. And if Paul is going to be calling us to a new kind of life, we have to address specifically each, each one of these, these areas. So let me tell you where we're gonna go this morning. I'm gonna give you my conclusion first, all right? Because I know some of you like, you, you were the kind of kids that would open up the Christmas presents before Christmas. You know, you wanted to see what the end result was gonna be. So I'm gonna give it to you right now. And then I'm going to tell you kind of how we're going to get there, and then we're going we're gonna to do it, okay? So the conclusion is this. In order to b- biblically live out what, what we are being called to as husbands and wives, as p- children, as parents, as workers, as masters or employers, in order to live this out, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Everybody say, filled with the Spirit. That's where we're going today. This is where we are talking not about behavioral modification. We're not talking about a list of do's and don'ts and working really hard to make sure that we line up with everything. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. And then these new relationships now that we enter into, new ways of interacting with each other, are then a result of being filled with the Spirit. And so the roadmap, how we're going to get there is this. I'm going to explain what being filled with the Spirit means because there's some confusion around that. Um, And then we're going to talk about how being filled with the Spirit actually creates in us these new approaches to relationships and how we are, we we take our our relationships to a whole nother level than they once were. And then at the end, I'm going to call for a revival in your heart because that's what a lot of us need this morning. We need to be once again filled with the Spirit. We need the Spirit to just pour into us and we need to see some revival in our hearts and in our lives. Some of you might be here this morning and and you're like, man, my, my, my marriage is hanging by a thread right now. Or you might say my parenting is 
Just, I'm just hanging on. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging by a thread. My ability, my desire to get up and go to work is just hanging there by a thread. Like, I feel like my entire life is hanging by a thread. My faith is hanging by a thread. And if that's you this morning, begin praying right now that God begins sweeping through your heart and that you have this feeling and that you have a revival this morning in, in, in your life. All right, there's, there is some extremely interesting material here. Um, we're going to be dealing with uh, wives and husbands, men and women, how we're called to interact with each other, which, by the way, is so intriguing and so countercultural to what the world uh, tells us we are to, to act like. What we're going to do is next week we're coming back to the same passage and we're spending the entire, all, uh, next week we're just going to be hitting on men and women and what that means to interact with each other and live together and reflect God. So we're going to dive deeper next week into that as well. We're talking about children and parents and then we're also talking about today, we're talking about slaves and masters. So some interesting and somewhat debated material that we're getting into, all right? So what you need to do is buckle your seatbelts because we're going for a ride. Can we do that? Everybody say amen. We can do that. Amen. All right, thank you. Need some interaction here. Yes. yes. Come on. All right, here we go. So let's, let's, let's pray, and then we're going to just dive in to this text this morning. God, I ask that you open our eyes to your truth to the, today. If, if there is anything in my own preparation that just needs to be taken out, I, I ask that you do that. I ask that, that uh, words that I say out of my flesh will be forgotten. Um, God, what we're looking for is for your spirit to take your truth and to, uh, uh, and, and to, to make it alive in, in our hearts. We ask that your spirit move through us, and God, we pray that we see some revival in people's lives this morning. Fill us with your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil, right? Life is hard. That's what he's saying. The days are evil. The days are sinful. We live in a broken world where we feel the effects of these relational problems all around us. We can see it. We can touch it. For some of us, it's right here. It's in our own lives. So be careful as you, how you walk. Make the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, he says, do not be stupid. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then look at verse 18. He kind of throws something in that's kind of strange here. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now the filled with is a imperative verb in the Greek, which simply means this. It simply means that it is a direct command to you. Like this isn't optional. He is saying, this is what you need to do. Exclamation point, be filled with the Spirit. Last week, we, we walked through the new standard for our new identity. We, there was something like 37 commands that I counted as Paul kind of walked through what the new Christian walk, what the new Christian life looks like. And now as Paul is turning his attention toward these relationships, the hinge that he uses is this phrase, this command, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. This, this is the center of it. So be filled then with the Spirit in the way that you interact with each other. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? When I, w when I was in college, I had a boss. I worked construction, which, by the way, those of you who, if, if there's any of you that work construction, God bless you. <laughs> That's why I became a pastor, because I worked construction for four years. Amen. Um, but I, I had this boss who would, would always be talking about um, spirit-filled believers versus Christians that were not spirit-filled. So he would say, this person's spirit-filled. This person's not spirit-filled. Are you a spirit-filled believer? Or are you just a Christian? You know, he was always distinguishing these two. And uh, so the, the more I got to know him, the more I 
discovered that um, his definition of spirit-filled was whether or not you spoke in tongues in like ecstatic utterances um, and whether or not you were part of a charismatic church or Pentecostal church, all right? That was his definition for being filled in the Spirit. So I, I was not filled with the Spirit, according to him. Now, what is the problem with that? What is the problem with defining being filled with the Spirit as a couple external signs? Or what kind of church you belong to? Or whether or not you get crazy and jump up and down? The, the problem with that is this. Two things. Number one, it's not biblical. All right? In, throughout Acts, we see that there are people filled with the Spirit, and it does not culminate in them speaking in tongues. Um, there are, it, it typically culminates in them uh, clearly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and while I do not disregard tongues as a gift, it is clear that it is not a gift given to every Christian that is filled with the Spirit. All right? So it's not biblical, number one. And number two, here's the other problem. When you focus on the external, what happens is you focus on the external. And so then we start pointing out external things that need to change and we start cleaning up the outside of the cup and we forget the inside of the cup. Which, by the way, the ironic thing is this. Being filled with the Spirit is all about the inside of the cup. And so, so the contrast he's using here is don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit could be equated then with joy and with fullness, with a word, holiness. Being transformed on the inside not just on the outside, a transformation that sweeps through on the inside, a filling in which your dead self is completely just falling to pieces and you have the Spirit of God awake and alive in you. And it results in, everybody say joy. joy. It results in joy. And I'll prove it to you, all right? Right here in the passage. I'll prove it. Uh, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Where do people go for joy, generally speaking? Where do people go for joy? We call it happy hour because for many it's the only happy hour of the day. Like maybe, maybe you know someone who is a, is a grump all day. At work, they say, they, they say nothing of thanks, no fingers. <laughs> Not a word of thanks comes out of their mouth. Uh, angry, bitter. And then later that day, after they've had a few, they start humming. They start talking loudly and laughing and it's not long before they are singing and having a great time now what's the problem with that i mean this is this is what he's getting at here the the we we all long for a childlike kind of innocent joy we long for that we long for happiness we long to to be able to just experience life to the fullest. And the problem is this, because we are so empty on the inside, we have to alter our brain in order to bring that about. What Paul is saying here is, it's not just simply a prohibition on drunkenness. What he's saying is, is don't, don't go to the substance that alters your brain to bring about the, kind, the only kind of joy, real joy and real hope that the 
uh, life-changing spirit of God can bring about. So then, let me say this, let me be clear. Cutting yourself off at, at two drinks is not enough. That's not, the point is not just simply a limit on how much you can drink. The point is, what are you filling yourself with? Where are you finding the joy of life? Where are you finding your sense of happiness, your sense of hope, your sense of security? What are you going to? You see, it was the, the dead, it was our old self that had to go to alcohol for that because we had nothing else. I mean, that's, that's like, that's all we had. We were empty on the inside. And so we had to get drunk. But what, what Paul is saying, com, continuing with this image of I, you were dead, but now you're, now you're alive, he's essentially saying that's what the dead do. But now you are alive. And this should not be among the living. It just doesn't make sense. Guys, it, it, it blows me away how carelessly Christians talk about getting drunk. It blows me away sometimes. I mean, some good friends of mine just randomly just talk about, yeah, I was drunk. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So if you are getting drunk, it's indicative then of a deeper spiritual reality and problem in your life. That's the point. So we are to be so filled with the Spirit then that we are not, not going to alcohol or any other substance, marijuana, etc., etc., for our joy and happiness. So then being filled with the Spirit is this, is this filling of, of, of God which creates holiness in us, which brings about joy in us. I heard someone on the radio today, the author of Crumb, some book, anybody ever read Crumb? I was listening to the radio and they had this author, but he, he was talking about his church experiences growing up and he said, it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that, that faith is to be a joyful experience. It's to be a joy, I mean, that's, we, we are drawn to, into the spirit of God, not so we, have to live some kind of boring, like, behavioral modified existence, but rather so we can have greater joy than we ever, than we ever did. So don't be filled or drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit so we can then sing with the psalmist in Psalm chapter 4, you, O Lord, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their wine abound. There is more joy. Think about this. There is more joy available from the filling of God's Spirit than anyone out there has when their wine is abounding. In peace, he says, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in, in safety. So then Paul, uh, he, he lays this down. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And then he immediately turns and he begins uh, tackling how we relate to one another, how we address one another. Look at it. Same breath. Don't be drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Same breath. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What a shame it is that, that so often the only time we ever see this lift out is when we're drunk or is when there's, when there's drunkenness around you. That seems to be the time when people are speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies in their hearts. On, on the contrary, we're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with God's Spirit 
And it results then in a new approach, in a new kind of relating to each other. And so we are to address one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs and in singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to sing to each other all the time. And some of you are thanking God for that, right? But our demeanor and our conversation with one another should be a beautiful dance. It should be as singing to one another. It should be that kind of encouragement, giving thanks with one another, submitting to one another. Every Christian is called to to give themselves completely to the other and to benefit and build up the other. So he addresses all Christians everywhere and then he breaks it down into these three categories that we're gonna work through. Husbands and wives, children and parents and bond servants and masters. Are you ready to work through them? I'll just wait. I'll just wait. When you're ready, let me know. All right, verse 22, husbands and wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives, also wives, should submit in everything to their husbands. Again in verse 33, skip down. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Submit is a dirty word today, isn't it? I mean, I wonder what picture comes to your mind when you hear or read those words, wives submit to your husbands. What picture comes to your mind? Master and a slave, the intimidated, muzzled wife, unhappy, in the kitchen, of course, making dinner for her authoritarian husband, barefoot. All right. Let's be clear, that's not what Paul's getting at. (laughs) Was it only guys that spoke up on that? (laughs) Oh, yes, right, Megan did. Thank you, Megan. I know, I'm just playing. Submit is a dirty word because we have no clue what it even means. We have been told by our secular culture what it means for us. We have been told that submission means lesser than. We have been told that submission uh, is is something that that, that we used to do back in the archaic world. But now in a post-enlightenment society, we're beyond uh, submission. The, The image that is used for wives submitting to their own husbands is the image of the church submitting to Christ. Now, let's go with that for a second. How does the church submit to Christ? Freely and willingly, giving ourselves to Christ because we know that he has our best interest in mind. And so then, as, the, we, as we submit to Christ, then we abandon ourselves and we open ourselves up and we freely and willingly give ourselves completely to Christ. And so this picture then of submission is this idea of, being, of, of, of freely and willingly giving yourselves completely to your husband. 
because he has your best interest in mind. And respecting, respecting your, your husband. Let's, let's go on to husbands. Verse 26, 25. Husbands then, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So wives, submit to your husbands, but husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now notice, nowhere does it say wives submit husbands lord over your wives. Nowhere does it say wives submit husbands rule your wives. What it says actually four times in this passage, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, by the way, as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself completely for the church. While the headship of the husband, Paul here, he roots it, I believe, in creation. The model for headship is none other than the servanthood of Jesus Christ who humbled himself and gave himself completely for for his bride, the church. So headship then, men, whether you're single or whether you're married, headship is rooted in servanthood. Headship is defined as servanthood, completely giving of yourselves to your wives. So men, you are to use your resources, your abilities, your talents, your emotions, everything that you have, you are to use those things to serve and to build up your wives so they can become who they are meant to be. Now, let, let, me, let me ask this question here. Uh, how, how many, w- without raising your hand, ladies, talk to the ladies right here. Don't raise your hand. Just raise the hand of your heart, okay? <laughs> ladies, how many of you would love for your husband to love you and lead you as Christ loved or loves and leads the church. I have never in all, I mean, all of the couples that I've chatted with, marriages that are falling apart, women that I have talked to, I have never come across a woman who says, I don't want him to lead me and love me as Christ leads and loves the church. I don't want that. No woman ever says that. We crave it. Please, lead me in that way. Love me in that way. I need it. I'm dying here. Now, wives or ladies, if you're sitting next to your husband, before you elbow your husband at this point, let me tell you this story. I saw a pastor preach one time, and, and, he, and he told this story. He said that there was a woman in his church um, who was uh, speaking with his wife, the pastor's wife, and she was talking about some of her marriage problems um, and uh, some of the problems with her, her husband. The pastor's wife told her, uh, you need to respect him. I can, I can clearly see that you do not respect your husband. You have no respect for him. And she took, him, she took her to Ephesians. You're called to respect. The woman's response was, if my husband was half the man your husband is, then I would respect him. The pastor's wife 
very clearly and directly answered her with this. My husband is the man he is because of the way that I respect him. Wives, respect your husbands. Give yourselves completely to your husbands. The husband cannot lead unless you give yourself to him. Look at verse 27. So that he might present so that he might, he might present the church to himself, speaking of Jesus and, the, and his bride, the church, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands, we are to use what we have been given by God to build up our wives, the spirit-filled husband builds up his wife to lead her to become holy without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish before God. Now this, this means two things. Number one, men, husbands, the spirit-filled husband is to take responsibility for your marriage covenant. I believe that when I stand before God, I'm going to give an account for the way I pastored you. So please make it easy on me. It's, it's biblical. It says it in Hebrews. Make it easy on your pastors who give, you're going to have to give an account. Seriously, it says that in the scriptures. And I'm going to have to give an account for my marriage covenant for my wife. Now, dudes, we don't like that. We want to pass the blame, don't we? Well, if she would... Well, she ate the fruit first. Mmm. Remember Adam and Eve? Who ate the fruit first? She did. Okay. I mean, it's historic. She, she ate the fruit first. Who did God come to? Eve? Who did God come to as the responsible party here? Adam. And what did Adam do? He did what every guy wants to do, and that's to pass the blame. Well, if she would, dot, dot, dot. I'm trying, but she, dot, dot, dot. She ate the fruit first. Fellas, are we passing the blame? Or are you a spirit-filled husband and you will take responsibility for your marriage covenant? Secondly, the husbands are to take responsibility for her spiritual condition. Every husband is the pastor of your home. I... I was uh, in a conference one time and they were teaching through Ephesians 5. I was younger. I was, we were more recently married. Um, they went through this passage that this image of Christ presenting the church, building the church to holiness and that that's the same call for husbands that we are to take responsibility for the spiritual demeanor of our wives. And the conference speaker looked at all the guys and he said, fellas, how does she look? Not on the outside, but on the inside. Is she tired? Is she frustrated? Is she spiritually worn out? How does she look? And then, you know what I did? I mean, I, this is like play by play here. At, the, at that moment, I started passing the blame. Well, yeah, I, she needs to... That, that I could tell you all of these things about my wife that could improve spiritually. He then turns it and he, he looks at the guys again. 
And he's like, it's your responsibility. It is your responsibility to make her spiritually glow. And if she is walking around spiritually just downcast and frustrated and tired, men, you've got to step up. It's convicting. Guys, this is a call to servanthood. It's a call to lay down our lives for our wife. Wives, whether you are, or women I should say, whether you are married or whether you are single, you know that your soul craves craves the man that will catch you when you fall. That has the shoulders with the strength of an ox that can pull the weight of the family when he needs to. And that will cradle you in his arms. Women, fall. If, if, you are, if you are married and you are married to a Christian, fall into him. Give yourself completely to him. And it is, let me say this, I understand it's a scary fall because we don't always know if he will catch you. But the only way he can catch you is if you fall into him. So give yourself completely to him, respect him, and let him lead you into a beautiful relationship with him. Let him lead you into a beautiful relationship with God. Amen? Children and parents, let's move on. Children and parents are the next category that Paul addresses here. So the Spirit-filled husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church. The Spirit-filled wife submits and gives herself completely, respects her husband. Spirit-filled children and Spirit-filled parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. If, you, if any of you grew up in Sunday school, you know that verse by heart, right? This is like 80% of our Sunday school lessons as kids, right? Children, obey your parents. This is sort of like the regular reminder before we leave church. All right, remember. Although I, ne- I don't ever remember being told it was in Ephesians 6.1. I mean, they could have at least told us that. that but children, obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. You may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, this is written in the Roman Empire during a time and within a culture where fathers had complete and exclusive rights to do whatever he wanted to do with his children. The law could not tell a father what to do with his children. So what that meant was this. If, if a father wanted to sell his child into slavery, which was common, he, he could do that. If a, if a father uh, wanted his child to work in the fields in chains, which was common according to historians, he could do that. If a father wanted to, listen to this, enact the death penalty on his children, for their disobedience, he could do that. Now, do you see how radical this is getting? In this culture, I mean, spirit-filled believers, our marriages are to, be, to look completely different, and our parenting is to look completely different than that of the secular world around us. So children then are to obey their parents in the Lord, which means... In, 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 as long as it's fitting with what the scriptures are telling children to do. So that means if a parent tells their child that they're not allowed to worship or they're not allowed to believe God, then they don't have to obey their parents in those ways. But in the Lord, everything else, children are to obey their parents. And we don't know it, what the age limit here is. At what point you don't have to obey your parents anymore. Um, I'm, my personal belief is that... Uh, when, when you are out of your parents' authority and you are on your own, then you kind of enter into the parent category. 
but children, even children that are in the room, a couple of them, maybe we should have had sprouts in here today. Children, obey your parents. They should pick up their clothes. They should pick up their clothes. <laughs> when you t- <laughs> it's in the Lord, right? But listen to this. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. How do you discipline your kids? Do you discipline them as a spirit-filled believer would discipline their kids? Or do you discipline them out of a temper? Do you discipline them when your pride is hurt? Listen, disciplining with a temper tantrum will lead to a temper tantrum in your children. Find an angry, bitter person The more you get to know them, the more you discover that they have bitterness and anger stemming from their childhood, from the way that their parents treated them. Do not lead your children to a life of anger. They're little people. (laughs) Respect them as human beings. Don't abuse them. Don't verbally abuse them. Tearing them down even unintentionally. And by all means, don't physically abuse them. Look, sparing the rod, or do not, do not spare the rod, that doesn't mean to beat your kids. And I mean beat when I say beat. Um, however, the, listen to this. The opposite of bad discipline The opposite of bad discipline is not no discipline. It's not zero discipline. The opposite of bad discipline is right and correct discipline. And then we can begin to understand what not sparing the rod means. Look look how Paul instructs fathers, and, and we can say parents as a whole here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, That's the negative, but here's the positive. But bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Fathers and mothers who are filled with the Spirit discipline their children in the same way that our Father disciplines us. They instruct their children in the same way we were once instructed ourselves. Listen, parents, for, for a spirit-filled family, things like devotions, praying with your kid, teaching your kid, instructing your, instructing your child, reteaching your child, those are not just nice little memory creators at bedtime. Like, guys, you gotta understand, Parents, or those who might be a parent someday, which is just about everybody in this room, that is the stuff of parenting. God has given us so that we can discipline and instruct children to grow up into godly young men and young ladies. So instruct them and discipline them as the Father would discipline them. Discipline them now in the right way so they do not have to be disciplined by the law later in life. A general rule of thumb, if I can give you one, just a practical piece of information to throw out. Don't discipline when you are having a temper. Don't discipline when your pride is hurt. And when you do discipline your child, do it with this mindset. And this is, this is my goal. And not that I'm perfect, my, but my goal is that in the way that I discipline my child, that they will see the love of the Father through that. Even though it hurts, even though they might be upset, in the way that we talk, in the way that we care, as we go through the discipline process and as we follow up on that discipline process, that they might be more drawn to the Father and see His love coming through their earthly father. 
So children, spirit, who are filled with the Spirit, obey their parents. Parents who are filled with the Spirit, discipline and bring their children up in the Lord. And then finally, the last category, bond servants uh, and masters. One, one young man, before we get into this, this, this one deserves a uh, preface. One young man I was recently speaking with just a week ago, um, I, w- I, was, I was talking to him about apologetics, which is apologetics is defending the faith. And he was talking about how he wants to grow in his ability to defend the faith. And he was asking me if I had any resources that I could give him. And, um, and, and I asked him, I said, what is the most common argument that you hear against Christianity or against the Bible? What is the most common argument that you hear? And his response was this. The Bible condones slavery. The most common argument that he hears is that the Bible condones slavery. Now, anybody who's going to make that argument is going to point at passages like this one that we just read this morning. And let me say this. I'm going to say it now and then I'll prove it to you. The Bible emphatically and clearly and definitively does not condone slavery. All right? Everybody got that? Clear? The Bible does not condone slavery. Now, you might come along and say, well, hold up. Then why does Paul address slaves, which in the ESV is translated bondservants? Why does Paul address bondservants? Why does Paul address slaves? We need to understand a couple things about historically what's going on in this culture in the ancient Roman Empire so that we can understand this passage. Number one, if you want to write this down just for your own notes, if you are ever hit with this question. Number one, a majority of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. Some historians uh, place it at, as, at two-thirds or more of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Think about this. Two out of every three people were slaves. So let's just be honest, first of all. If Paul does not address slaves, if he doesn't talk to bond servants, he is missing out on two-thirds of the population. But Paul evidently believes that bondservants can be and are filled with the Spirit of God. And so he addresses this two-thirds of the population of the Roman Empire. Secondly, ancient slavery in the Roman Empire was not 19th century Southern American slavery. It's just common when we think of slavery or we even hear the word slave, we automatically go to what's most prevalent for us. I mean, we are only four or five generations removed from slavery in this country. It, it is still felt in many ways. It's the, it's the ugliest scar across the face of North America. And listen, the, the slavery of North America in the 17th, 18th, and 19th century, which was driven by and fueled by racism and patriarchal authority, is demolished through the pages of the scriptures. While it is true that there were white slave owners who tried to use these passages to control slaves, it is equally true and more so that abolitionists used this same passage and others to demolish the roots of slavery in America. We can see by history which argument was stronger, which argument did not last. Let me talk about what ancient slavery was in the Roman Empire just briefly. Um, Slaves were not identified by race they were not a, a easily identified by the way that they, that, the, that they dressed. 
or where they lived. Um, education among slaves was encouraged. Uh, some, some folks would uh, even sell themselves into slavery in order to either pay off debts or to escape poverty or to sort of climb a social ladder. Others, if they didn't sell themselves into slavery, um, and if they weren't a child sold into slavery, they would be brought into slavery because they owed a debt that they could not repay, and so they essentially had to now work it off. Uh, or if they were maybe a war captive, that was fairly common, uh, or, or an orphan. Uh, children that had no parents were often put into, uh, into slavery. The kind of work that slaves would do in the ancient world was everything you can imagine. They worked on farms, they worked in houses, they were barbers, but butlers, cooks, hairdressers, maids, nurses, teachers, secretaries, seamstresses. If they had more education and more intelligence, they would do things like accounting and they would teach, they would do education, they would do medicine, slaves, Many, of, many slaves owned their own slaves and slaves could work up and save, build wealth and pay off their debts and, and earn, earn their freedom, all right? Everybody cool? Understanding now what, what we're talking about here. So as Paul now addresses two-thirds of the population, he says this, verse five, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will to, as to the Lord and not to man. Hint, hint, your master. Verse eight, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will re receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or whether he is free. Do you see why abolitionists use this to demolish slavery in America? Bondservants, you're not working for your master, he says. You're working for the Lord. And by the way, the work that you're doing for him will be repaid. Not, not, not by your master, but by your Lord. And so work hard. Don't cheat. I mean, this can in some ways be applied to every one of us who has a job. Don't work as man pleasers. Don't work just when your boss is watching you. Don't work just when you have to work to produce something. Work, do everything. Even if you're mopping a floor, do it as you're doing it for the Lord, knowing that he will repay. But then he addresses the master's and it goes even deeper. Check it out. Verse 9. Masters, he says, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Masters, you're not really their master. There's an entire book later, Philemon, in which Paul is telling a master, you're not his master. He, he has only one master, and that is our Lord. So treat him as such. Spirit-filled workers then work to please not their boss, but they work to please their Lord and spirit-filled bosses. If we can go that route and apply it there, Spirit-filled bosses do not threaten their employees and they know that they are not really their boss. Now guys, we, we live in a, in a difficult world. The days are evil. And we, we, we feel the effects in our own flesh and in the world around us, the effects of these categories falling apart, these roles falling apart, abuse. Husbands who do not love their wives, do not lead their wives as Christ loved and led the church. Wives who do not respect and give themselves fully to their husbands. Children who are unruly and do not obey their parents. Parents who have no clue how to discipline and they're 
Disciplining out of, out of temper tantrums. Workers who cheat, bosses who threaten. We, we, feel, we feel this every day. This is the stuff of life that keeps us up at night. And here's the reality in, of, of, of our problem is, is that each one of us might say, I've tried that. Like, I, I'm trying. I'm trying, husbands, I'm, I'm trying to lead. I'm trying to love, and I just can't get it right, or she's not allowing me, or, or wives, I, I want him to lead me in that way, and he won't. Or children who are being abused, or parents who are saying, I I, 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 keep, I keep messing up. I, I try to lead. I try to instruct. And then I lose my temper again. And workers who continue to cheat. And bosses that continue to threaten. Here is the problem and the reality of, of our situation. It is this. We cannot do this on our own effort. We cannot do this on our own effort. I mean, this is the only way to live in peace with one another is so that we can speak to each other in songs, songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts. And the reality is, is we don't even have within us what it takes. And all you need to do in order to know that is to try it out for a while. And you know how difficult it really is. So what is the answer? Look at the first line of verse 10. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord. So those of you who might say my marriage is hanging by a thread or my family is hanging by a thread or my ability to work is hanging by a thread, my life, my faith is just hanging, dangling by a thread. The call is to be strong, not in and of yourself, but to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. What we need is a revival. A revival is when the Spirit pours into us and fills us. That is a revival. What we need is a revival, and every revival in history has begun with a renewed understanding of the gospel. In the 1850s in London, a revival broke out. And it wasn't because people all of a sudden were able to muster up enough energy to start doing what they're supposed to be doing. It was because in a massive room with over a thousand Christians, there were quote unquote Christians who had been going to church their, their entire life crying out, what must I do to be saved? And the answer then to those Christians is the same for us today, and that is to repent and to believe the gospel. It's to fall at the foot of the cross, to know that it is not our works which saves us, but it is according to his mercy that we are saved. We could never do enough, and Jesus lived the life that we could not live. It was because of Jesus' love that fathers can be saved and filled with the Spirit. It was because of Jesus' submission that mothers can be saved. It was because of his obedience that children can be saved and filled with the Spirit. It was because of, uh, of, of Jesus' discipline that parents can be saved and because of his unpartiality that slaves and bond servants can be saved. And it was because of his grace that masters can be saved. He did all of the work that we could not do on our own. And it's only when we, again, go to the cross and we remember the beauty of the gospel and we fall prostrate at the foot of the cross, it's only then that we die to ourselves and the Spirit of God comes to life within us. My prayer this morning is that a revival will break out in your heart. That husbands will have a renewal even this morning. That wives will be revived this morning. That children will be revived this morning. That parents 
workers, bosses will be revived as we go to the cross, as we remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we repent and we believe that gospel and become filled with God's spirit. I want us to all stand together right now. And I want to ask you just to place your hand on the person next to you. Pray with me. God, as, as, we, as we come together, as we unite, as we join together this morning, we ask that your spirit come into this room and that you fill us. We recognize that your presence is with us all the time and that you're closer to us than we are even aware of, even when we forget it. And God, we so often are drawn back to our flesh. We're drawn back to our old ways of thinking and of acting, and we need a revival in our hearts. And God, the same spirit that has swept through cities and swept through sinners' lives for 2,000 years, I pray that you will sweep through our life, that you will fill us and that you will repair us, build us up. May husbands love, may wives respect, may children obey, may parents discipline and love and lead, may workers work for your honor and for your glory, and may bosses, masters understand that you are our only master, Lord of all. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.